0: Hello, hello, happy September. Oh my God, do you guys believe it's September already? How did that happen? Ooh, 2019, you have gone fast. Anyway, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I am your host, Sarah Bueno. I am a psychotherapist, a business owner, a speaker, a wife, a dog mom, an aspiring witch, all in Chicago, Illinois. And I really appreciate you coming to the podcast to give a listen. One of the ways that you can help out the podcast, if you're if you're a first-time listener or if you're someone who keeps coming back, please share. Please tell people about this. I think that we're having some really great conversations on here. And I really love putting this out in the world. And I appreciate so much when people are willing to share that. So thanks for coming. Lovely to have you here. So today's guest is somebody I was so excited to meet. (laughs) I have this sense about me that's like, I deserve to have conversations with famous people. I have always felt that way. It's like so weird. I'm like, I have good shit to say, like, talk to me, please. But then I also have this other part of me that's like, who do you think you are, you know, talking to people? So Hillary is one of those people that I had this little internal battle with myself Because she's on a podcast that I really love called The Liturgist Podcast. And I reached out to her. And I'm always so surprised when people are so willing to talk. I'm like, me? Even though there's that part of me that like, yeah, bitch, you knew that you were important enough to talk to. (laughs) So weird. Brains. Goodness. So anyway, so Hillary is a therapist, researcher, speaker, and writer. She loves to help people grow, heal, change, and come into more fullness in themselves and their relationships. She's passionate about the well-being of all people and wants to make psychology and academic research accessible to a wide variety of people. She's the host of two podcasts, Other People's Problems and the Liturgist Podcast, as well as an author of two books, Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image, and Embodiment and Eating Disorders. So please, please, please enjoy this amazing conversation that I got to have with Hillary McBride. Hello, Hillary. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer.
1: Hi, Sarah. What a joy to be with you today. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. Are you a doctor yet? Oh gosh,
1: it, no. I two months or something <laughs> like that, and two then two months. I know. Yeah, people know doctors in there pre or post, but I am like right on the cusp and uh, it's right around the corner, which is pretty wild. So soon to
0: be Dr. Hillary McBride is joining us today. And I want to tell the listeners, I know I've mentioned the Liturgist podcast before. I'm obsessed with it. (laughs) A friend of mine created a group on Facebook for people in Chicago who also consider themselves mystics. And she just like added me and I was like, I don't know if I'm a mystic. And she, (laughs) she posted the episode, the Liturgist podcast episode Episode about mystics and mm that was my first introduction. And I was like, nom, 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 nom. Just like eating the whole thing up and have listened to so many more. And I'm just so impressed with you guys, all of you, every single one of you, it's magical. And I know that you guys know that it's magical without being in your ego about it.
1: Oh gosh. Well, thank you so much. I'm still so surprised that people listen to me and my friends have conversations about things that we're interested in because that's what it feels like. Just this beautiful outflow. Uh, That's come from four people who are interested in the world and each other and ideas, just letting other people listen into that. And that feels so amazing that people are interested and keep liking what we do. So I do think it's pretty amazing that I get to be a part of it. And I'm so glad to hear that people listen so many times.
0: I know. I feel that way when I get feedback too. And also like, you know, conversations like this, we will just have an awesome conversation and other people just happen to get to hear it. And that's amazing.
1: It is. It is. And if they get something out of it, like, wow, how honoring for everybody involved that everyone gets a little bit out of the process.
0: I almost kind of think it's like therapy in a way Mm -hmm. that you get to hear like the inner workings of things, almost as if you were in like the therapy room with somebody.
1: Exactly. Well, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it, but I have a podcast called Other People's Problems.
0: Uh, No. How
1: dare I not know about (laughs) it? Oh my God. Okay. It's done pretty well. We've just finished season two, I guess earlier this year. And it is microphones in my therapy sessions with people <gasps> and people get consent or people give what? consent. And yeah. And then we edit the episodes down to about half an hour, but they cover a variety of topics. And the idea is that people get to hear what change and work looks like instead of just hearing these stories about, you know, somebody has mental health crisis. We get to look at people doing the work uh, before or after that to help each other feel less afraid about therapy, asking for help, uh, learn from each other's mistakes and insights and growth, and just kind of undo some of our aloneness around being human. So you have to check that out.
0: Uh, yeah, I just was multitasking and just added it yeah. to, <laughs> my Spotify, to my Spotify podcast. So. <laughs> so I will be listening to that on the way home tonight. And that's a brilliant idea too, because I was just talking with a friend of mine who is a therapist and now she's shifting into this like leadership coaching. And she Mm -hmm. said she thought that being a therapist would be a deterrent for some people in this field. And she said people who will come to her and say, "Oh, I'm never going to go to therapy, but I'll come to a therapist who's a coach.
1: (laughs) Oh, interesting. That's yeah. amazing how much stigma there still is about therapy, but I it's for know. other people. It's for those people. And what I hear from lots of people who haven't been to therapy is I encourage my friends to go, but I'll never go. So there's this right? sense of like, it's okay for other people. And it's amazing how we do this. I mean, we're just jumping right into it. But it's amazing how we do this in life that we come up with these rules about how we are exempt from certain things. Like, Mm -hmm. it's okay for you to ask for help, but not for me. It's okay for you to have compassion, not for me. It's okay for you to go to therapy, not for me. Mm -hmm. How this is this amazing and fascinating wound that so many of us carry around, that somehow we are exempt from the same kind of goodness and help that we want other people to have.
0: Have you tuned into what your psyche thinks you're exempt from that you that you work through?
1: Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I've spoken about it quite publicly in my book as well. But feeling like I was unlovable, yeah. the shame story has been a really, really big thing for me. And yeah. realizing how how big that was for me and my original desire to be a therapist, wanting to help people mm. so that I felt good and then I could prove that mm-hmm. I was doing something good in the world same, same. I thought you were going to ask, what about for you? Have you tuned into what that is for you?
0: Before I answer that question, I'm going to answer it with a really long answer. Okay. Have you heard of NARM? Oh, what, what is it? I'm about to blow your mind. Get really okay. excited. So okay. NARM is, it stands for neuro relational model. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, so you have heard this. Yes. Yeah. Lauren Teller. Yeah. So I just did the first module of that training this weekend and The way that they train you is really brilliant. They have like active coaching. So I got to play therapist and then one of the participants played client and I had the lead trainer kind of coaching me on it. And one of the first times ever that I experienced truly giving up control and letting this guy coach me and and be my training wheels and feel that I didn't have to fix the person in front of me. And then the reverberation from that in my life, like literally this is like I'm three days in past. (laughs) this training, all of a sudden, finally feeling like it's not my job to fix you, which Mm -hmm. means my brother, who's like my only family member left my brother and my husband and my friends and my staff and my clients and everybody like I have this level of freedom now that I never knew. I never knew I was in prison. I I mean, I knew to a certain extent, but I didn't know how bad it really
1: was. What an amazing thing to get that insight in real time and feel it change.
0: Right. So I feel like I have that struggle with you and I'm hopeful that this transformation that I feel like I've had is going to stick.
1: <laughs> yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think like that resonates so much for me in realizing that I was doing therapy because it made me feel like, okay, good, I'm helping people. But yeah. that was also really about me knowing yes. I was hey okay and lovable meant that I only knew I was lovable if I helped people. Right. And then what happens if, People change in their own pace. Or what happens if people don't want to work with me? Or what happens if people are really stuck for a long time? It means mm-hmm. that I have somehow created this relationship with them where my worth is contingent on their transformation. And that creates a pressure on someone to perform. I think right. even felt at an implicit level that makes them not really be free in the room. So for me, the big transformation, like you're talking about, was going oh, I'm okay, even if you're not okay, or I'm okay, even if you take a long time to heal and it has nothing to do with me. And that means that we can sit in the room with somebody and be with them, not the version of them that we need them to be.
0: Right. And do you feel like for yourself, there's been different layers of this? Cause I'm trying to think about, you know, when I, when I was in school and I remember the shift from like true, true classic codependence of Mm. getting my needs met through being a helper right, and then shifting into really understanding self-determination and giving that back to the client. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm having this other transformation where I didn't even really realize how it was still present. So just thinking about the nuance and the depth, Right.
1: Yeah. And I think about that as being like the proverbial analogy that we come back to, but the onion, right? That there, it doesn't show up in therapy in the same way. I'm sure it probably does once in a while and Mm -hmm. I I have a better eye to catch it, but I watch for how that thing shows up in other ways Or you, I don't Mm -hmm. know. I think this is just part of being human, but the growth journey means that as we keep looking and as we keep moving forward in our lives, we come around full circle and get new insight or go, oh, that root is still there in this relationship or, oh, it's coming up in this way. But I think time is another one for me that I give everybody else in my life a lot of my time and haven't really done that for myself. So I'm really Mm -hmm. excited post-graduation because some of the constraints of grad school mean I'm perpetually Mm -hmm. focused on something I want to do, but without it feeling like it's nurturing for myself necessarily. And mm-hmm. just really excited to give myself some more time when school is over. Ooh, what are you going to do? Got some trips planned, mm-hmm. but I really love being by the ocean and mm-hmm. just sitting and hearing what the ocean sounds like and going for yeah. walks. It's spending time. I love climbing trees. Oh, please post
0: a picture of that on Instagram. Cause that just sounds adorable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's <laughs> funny? I do. There are lots of things that I do for my practice that nobody knows about because I mm. think it's just for me. So I don't. I mm. don't post photos. It was a big piece of reclaiming, mm. kind of talking about like a lot of my time and energy is for other people. Yeah. That's super protective now of my time that is for myself, and I don't take my phone and don't tell anyone I'm doing. Wow. Just for me, not for anyone else to know about. So. Hmm. I
0: may, I may not. We'll see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm curious if you had to, the word that's coming up is teach, but I don't know if teach is the right word. It's maybe unteach. but, but did you have to teach yourself to be able to do that? Cause like sitting and listening to the ocean sounds amazing, but I think when most of us would try to put that into practice, we'd be doing other things.
1: Right. Yeah. I have got my hands in a bunch of different things right now. I've got school going on and podcasting and I'm writing another book and trying to, you know, have a marriage and friendships and all of these things that make us healthy. I found that I'm super disciplined with my time. Mm. And so everything comes in blocks of time. And I schedule when I'm working out and I schedule when I'm seeing friends and I schedule when I have downtime. And that feels like overkill for some people. But for me, it makes me feel like I get to have everything that I need in a limited amount of time. And so one of the things that I've done is I schedule, I schedule a rest or I schedule stillness. Mm it's not my preference. I wish that there was a little bit more flow. And I yeah. think that, that will be the case when, again, when school is done, it's mm-hmm. been nine years of grad school. So wow. it's been a long chunk of time. And so when that's done, my plan is to have a little bit more freedom and flexibility with my schedule. But in the meantime, having a super tightly scheduled life allows me to get all the things that I want to done. And yeah. that means knowing that I've got And quiet coming up means I can get through the kind Mm -hmm. of busy chaotic periods.
0: Yeah, I feel that way too. I look at my calendar and then there's this one empty space and I literally (laughs) will put on there, do not schedule anything.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I get by. That's so good. Yeah. And a good helpful reminder because we especially if as helpers, if we Mm -hmm. want to give to people and someone has a need. And I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it'll be easy to be like, Oh, I really care about that person. And this is a chunk of time when I don't have anything. Yes. Then it's so easy to give that away. So for me, Mm -hmm. the scheduling of rest has meant that I can feel confident and saying, I'm so sorry, I can't do anything right then. I'm actually busy. And what I'm busy doing is being with me.
0: Yes. And for me, that's where I think guilt comes in. And, oh, and it's definitely that. the childhood messages of you should be giving all the time. And if you're not giving, it's selfish, right?
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily have that same wound around giving mm-hmm. all the time. It's selfish, but I know that that can be such a powerful pull for us. Mm-hmm. I was just someone in session recently this yeah. morning about guilt is so so good at keeping us in our lane Mm -hmm. but sometimes the lane we grew up in isn't the lane we want to live in anymore and Mm -hmm. it's time for an updated operating system
0: yeah that's a good way to put it the operating system Yeah. So we just dove in without even really telling people who who you are and what you do, (laughs) which and you do a lot of things as you've already shared. But I'd love to hear, you know, you said a little bit about your decision to become a therapist, but not really about your journey. I'd love for you to share that with listeners.
1: Yeah. So I, I've got two therapist parents. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I worked really hard to not be a therapist. Oh, I, I bet you did. <laughs> hard. I was like, I'm going to be my own person. And so for a long time, I thought I was going to be a criminologist. I was super interested in forensic psychology too. And crime behaviors and crime patterns but was always studying and playing violin so I actually went to university oh. to play violin on a music scholarship and was playing violin hours and hours and hours a day in all sorts of ensembles and In performance capacity and orchestral settings, like my life was violin. And I had also been struggling with an eating disorder for many years Mm. and realized at some point, I think I was at the end of, might've been third year of undergrad, that there were some ways that I saw playing violin that reminded me of what I was trying to get away from with the eating disorder, which was Mm. around perfectionism and seeing the problems of what was instead Mm. of seeing everything and the goodness that was there, orienting my life around mistakes instead of what I was grateful for, what I did contribute and what I brought to the world. So what that looked like with violin is playing this really exquisite and complicated concerto piece or orchestral piece. And at the end, falling asleep, thinking like, why can't I get that one note? Yeah. And that spirit of classical music often, or it's hard for mm-hmm. it not. There's this idea that you are replicating somebody mm-hmm. else's creation and bringing it to life, but in a way that honors that and has to do it with perfect technique. And mm-hmm. the expectation is high on technique and perfectionism. So decided I needed to take some space from playing violin as a way of trying to get into other ways of being, it felt hard for me to continue on with my program in a way that allowed me to see the world and see myself a different way. And because mm-hmm. my dad as a clinician and academic, had he'd been a faculty member in a school of midwifery for a long time. We'd mm-hmm. always had wives around, and he'd always talked about the power and the goodness of women's bodies. So I decided that I was going to try and see some women birth and be a part mm-hmm. of that experience, perhaps a new way of relating to my body. So I went and lived in the Philippines for a little while, Mm. uh, living and working at a birth house in the northern Philippines in this very rural and remote area where almost no one spoke English. Mm. And I think there was only one other white person there who was the midwife I was living with and just Mm. had these really powerful encounters with the rawness and the goodness of the human journey and women's bodies and my own physicality and decided I was going to come back and be a midwife and hmm. so was really excited about doing that and didn't get into midwifery school and was crushed and I had no idea how competitive the programs were I was yeah. devastated because I thought I've birthed a few babies now or like I've I, we, what we might say I've caught some babies now hmm. I've doulaed a ton of women and why I'm super confused why well, I didn't get in. And so I figured, well, I'll just study psychology and maybe social sciences for a little while until I get in, I'll apply again. And it was then I decided, I think what I loved about being midwife, about helping women in labor, is that there are these things in life that are challenging. But when we have someone alongside us who knows how it's gonna end, who trusts, mm-hmm. who has hope. Who knows how to skillfully help us navigate the tricky points? We can do these incredible hard things. And I think of birth as being this metaphor for psychic healing. And I don't mean psychic yes. in a way that's like third point. I mean, it's yes. like as in like mm-hmm. psyche or psychology. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think of myself now, I've said this a few times in certain places, but I think of myself as the midwife of the mind or a midwife of the heart.
0: I was literally thinking of that when you yeah. started saying it. <laughs>
1: Right. So being with people Mm -hmm. and midwifing them through their mental illness, through their Mm -hmm. suffering, through their aloneness, through their career changes, through their developmental transitions to say, I believe in you. I'm here with you. And I can skillfully help you do this in a way that helps you see what is being born on the other side. And through this process of you, of you hurting right now, that Mm -hmm. there's something good coming for you. And and I'm going to stay with you until we find it. So that was a big part of Psychology and mm. so finished my undergrad in psychology, then started grad school, master's in counseling psych, and just fell in love with research too and, mm. and wanted to. Learning that at the end of my master's, I know for a lot of people, there was this idea of like, okay, good, I've got everything I need. And I think that for some people, that's the case for me. I was like, I need to learn so much more. I mm-hmm. want to study, I want to ask questions. And so for me, it felt really natural to keep going and keep looking for more questions, keep looking for more answers, building more skills. And now I'm at the end of my PhD, like I'm finishing. And yeah, that's the overarching data points. my story.
0: And I imagine even when you're not in school, you will not stop asking questions and searching for them and the answers.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I met a therapist once who I got to watch her work and she was doing family work in the treatment center that I was in. And Mm. I was like, okay, I want to be you when I grow up. How do I do that? And she said, about every three years, she invested in a new modality. Right. And that's what I've modeled my career after. And just continue to get training so that you can be that continuous learner.
1: Yeah. And there's so many developments that are happening in the mm-hmm. field. That I think that three years is probably for some people that might feel short, but I think like we're learning so much about mm-hmm. the brain, learning so much about the science of change that there's going to continue to be more things that show up in the field as strategies for interventions or ways mm-hmm. to help you feel that what a great way to be current and to help ourselves not get bored and mm-hmm. keep stretching and learning. What wonderful wisdom and advice she shared with you.
0: I know she's brilliant. Thanks, Marianne. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: If you're listening, I'll have to send it to you just so she can have a shout out. That's right. Yeah. So one of the things that I really love about the Liturgist Podcast in particular is is the intersection of spirituality with all of this. And you know, I think that's where the question about, you know, are you a healer kind of comes in. And I really think of it from a spiritual standpoint. And just given what I've heard you say on the liturgist podcast, I'm really, really curious your answer to that question.
1: Yeah. I think it probably depends on the day. Like I could answer that question by saying I aspire to be a healer. I might, and this might be my empirical bent and my interest Mm -hmm. in science and efficacy, but I might ask the people that I work with if they feel like I've been a healer and that Mm -hmm. they get to decide if that's been the case. Like Mm -hmm. my intention is to show up in the world in a way that the things that I touch and the things I give my energy to move towards flourishing and wholeness. That's my longing in my heart for that to be the case, Mm. to be the way that I move through the world. But I think it's up to the people who I work with to decide if I'm a healer or not. Yeah. And I might say that my energy in the last, I would say probably 18 months, like a year and a half has been to shift that question by looking at my own relationship to myself and see like, Mm. am I someone who's committed to my own healing as an agent of transformation in my own life? and to participate actively in my own healing, evolution, transformation, Mm -hmm. growth, continued development, whatever you want to call it, and realize that the things that I give in the world are not just for everybody else, but are also for me, like you were talking about. right. I would say if the people who are touched by the work in my life get to decide if I'm a healer or not, then some part of me might also get to say if I am that for myself, as I am constantly in dialogue, the parts of myself that are the healer and the parts of myself that are in need of healing. And I think that I'm coming a long way in being able to give myself the gifts that I give to others.
0: That is the best answer to that question I've ever had.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. Like, sorry, everyone else who I've interviewed before, (laughs) Hillary wins. (laughs) But seriously, and I mean, that's the heart of this podcast is Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about like my insatiable need to heal myself and grow and be the best version of myself and how I've become a better therapist because of that, right? Right, Like I immerse myself in Brene Brown's shame resilience because I wanted to rid myself from shame. And now I'm immersing myself in NARM because I wanna heal my developmental trauma. Like, and then I will get to share that with anybody who chooses to be my client. And that's, I feel like- It's the quintessential put your oxygen mask on before helping others. But you just put it so beautifully. Mm. I'm going to like put that on a little loop and just listen to it over and over again. (laughs) Oh, No pressure.
1: You know what? As you're talking about this, I'm just thinking about, and this might align well with my self identification as a mystic or within that realm. But the more that I am on my journey, the more I see how everything is connected. Yes. I don't necessarily think it's problematic to do work for others that's for yourself that is for others that is for yourself like yes. when we are showing up in the world in a way where we are trying to be loving, and that is directed at everyone and everything there will be times when that feels good for us. And I think that's okay. And there will be times when it feels hard and that will be okay. And there will be times when it's for others and for ourselves. And I mm-hmm. guess I'm not so worried anymore about where it's going, except that I'm trying to create a bit of balance where it's not all out, but some is coming in and mm-hmm. believing that it's all connected, that when I'm well, others are well. When I've loved others well, it helps me be well too that these divides between self and other and mine and yours Mm -hmm. are helpful ideas sometimes to figure Mm -hmm. out what we do with time and how we make sure that we're not over-investing in some sphere of life and forgetting the others. But I really do think it's all connected.
0: I do too. Have you heard of the book Selfie? By will store
1: no I haven't told you about it
0: yeah I think you'd find it really fascinating I heard him as a guest on another podcast and the book is about perfectionism and narcissism essentially and and how our culture has shifted and how it's Mm -hmm. killing people. He starts off the book talking about suicide. And it's funny, I have a a friend who's Greek. And so I always tease him whenever Greek stuff comes up. And I'm like, well, it's the Greeks fault that we're all (laughs) that we're all self interested and individualists. And he's like, of course, it's always my fault. Um, (laughs) But he goes back in history to the reason for shame historically, in early human times, and then how the Greeks We're the first civilization to really say like, no, it's not about the tribe. It's about the individual and individual growth. And then all of the little things that kind of came after that. And I'm a little bit more than halfway through right now, but it's fascinating. He talks about Esalen and the development of therapy that happened there. And then the self-esteem movement that was apparently started by a politician that I didn't know anything about. Wow! Uh, Yeah, it's so cool. And I'm hoping that at the end, he comes back to the idea of interconnectedness. And there's this other book called The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening. And he talks similarly about that we recognize the interconnectedness of all things. And then there was a fall and we had to develop intellect. And now we're combining the mysticism and the spirituality and all of those things that indigenous people had with the intellect Mm -hmm. that we have. And so that makes us even more powerful.
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't read the book, but I think about even those divides about like intellect Right. Versus right, yeah. something else as being these, yeah. these phony divides where I don't know anything about the land. I don't know how to tend mm-hmm. and care for the land in ways that honor the medicines or the traditional medicines of the land. We call that intellect. And the idea that we've decided right. one way of knowing is intellect and something else isn't, again, shows us how colonialism and white supremacy influence mm-hmm. even the idea of like what needs to be in balance and what we bring, what we have, what other people don't. It's hard to tease out this idea of self mm-hmm. without also looking at systems of power. where The self mm-hmm. uh, has been constructed as being more valuable than other selves in a political way. Ugh, just thinking about all right. that. As you're saying right. it, like,
0: and you're in you're in Canada, right? So you're I safe. Am. You're safe. Oh gosh, well,
1: <laughs> some pretty funky stuff going on here with our First Nations people. Where the government. Oh, yeah. Like is not taking care of them, and there have been people who do not have clean water and have not had mm. clean water. And even though the government has promised to give it to them, they don't. And so mm. the kids have, have sores all over their body because they can't mm. bathe in the water. And the government is saying, "Later, we'll help you later." Wow. Well. Yeah, it's a different kind of storm up here. Right. We don't have the same obvious leadership a trap. problems, <laughs> if you will. With- <laughs> you can look at our leaders and say, well, they're not making fun of people with disabilities. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's not as obvious, but yeah, we have a different kind of problem. (laughs) here. Right.
0: And I think it's awesome that you bring up, you know, white supremacy, because I always think about like, okay, who was the first white guy who saw a person of color and was like, I don't know about that. I'm scared of it. And I'm going to be better than that. Like, I want to go back to the beginning of time and understand a little bit better, like how the fuck that came to be. I mean, white supremacy is the opposite of interconnectedness.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's why we need to have a feminism that is sensitive to politics of class and race, mm-hmm. like the intersectional feminism, because mm-hmm. we can't look at the hierarchies of white supremacy and not also see the hierarchies of patriarchy and the hierarchies mm-hmm. of ableism. And whenever the story is that mm-hmm. this version of being human is better than that version of being human, we all mm-hmm. miss out on something everybody loses. So right. the hierarchies, particularly that have benefited of a certain way of existing that has typically been white and masculine or male and mm-hmm. educated and able and youthful and all of that stuff. think are starting to get challenged and I love to Mm -hmm. see to thinking about therapy and healers like I think Mm -hmm. we can be healers at the same time as we are perpetuating unhelpful stories about Mm -hmm. gender class race ableism all sorts of stuff we could be a loving person who's trained to listen well and -hmm. because of our privileges and biases miss out on or silence people
0: absolutely Yeah, it's one of the things with my practice, we've really tried to incorporate anti-racism values. Mm -hmm. And yet, because most of the people who work at my practice are white and have a certain level of privilege, the white supremacy is almost invisible to us in some ways. And so it really takes looking at it, owning our part in that, even though like somebody had just posted something on Instagram today about white people being racist, not because we're bad people, but just because we've benefited from the way that society has been structured and
1: Mm -hmm.
0: we just have to look at it and do our best to not participate in it, I guess.
1: Right. Well, yeah. And to be aware of it. And I mean, I'm still so unfortunately, so new and young in this process of understanding Mm -hmm white supremacy and how I've benefited from that. But I think one of the things that the women of color in my life have taught me about this is that whiteness is assumed to be neutral. So we don't even acknowledge our whiteness and we don't understand how whiteness impacts the way we move through the world. So Mm -hmm. acknowledging our whiteness, not as a way of centering ourselves, but as a way of saying like, I'm not assuming that my way of being is the neutral, maybe even like standard way of existing i acknowledging that I, even in ways I'm not aware of, am influenced by my culture and mm-hmm. and by my ethnicity. That process of starting to acknowledge that for me has been huge. And even in therapy sessions, saying to clients, and I feel so sad that I didn't do this for so long, but saying to clients, what's it like to be sitting in a room with a white woman as a therapist? Mm-hmm. Does that feel like... You're getting better care because you were socialized to think that mm-hmm. you can't trust yourself. Does it make you feel like I'm going to misunderstand you? And, and what do I need to know about you and how you see the world so that we can acknowledge our life experiences in a way that help name what's going on here and so that I can understand you and meet your needs instead of assuming that because I see the world a certain way or see mm-hmm. healing or transformation a certain way that it means you will too.
0: Right. Well, and when we think about how we were trained and how psychological methods essentially came to be, it was was based on white men's ideas, right? So we (laughs) that's just kind of a disclaimer I've started saying in some of my speaking gigs is like, Yeah, a lot of this research was done by white people on white people. And that's just a thing we have to note. And another thing I was thinking as you were saying that one of my friends who is a woman of color and a therapist, she proposed the idea of when you have a client who is of a different group than you are, considering lowering your fee for that person, not because Mm -hmm. they deserve a handout, but because they have to teach you more than they would Mm -hmm. if if you were part of the group. So what she was talking about was if she had a transgender client, she would consider lowering her fee because she didn't have that much education. And I was like, girl, brilliant.
1: Wow. Amazing. Right. And I would wonder, like, I guess this is the case for most of my learning is I often get what I think is a good idea (laughs) Mm. and then assume it to be like a panacea. So like, oh, good, that worked really great for this one client I had who's trans. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then I'm like, okay, so the next person who's trans walks in the door and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you a lower fee because you're teaching me something. And then in doing so, I'm making an assumption that all trans people are the same. And so it is, Mm -hmm. gosh, one of the most amazing things about being a therapist is seeing each person in front of us Mm -hmm. and realizing how often as a, a shorthand for existence. We make assumptions about people that actually Mm -hmm. serve to keep us disconnected. So I find myself being curious about my clients who I work with and thinking, I'd love to hear what each of them thought about that. And if one person from one group said that feels so honoring of what's happening here and for other people to say, Mm -hmm. no, that feels Mm -hmm. like I'm being tokenized or or something Mm like that. I would just, I would want to know do the phenomenological thing, which is to honor each person's right to choose. But I love the idea of that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Her name's Mishera. She's brilliant. She was on Ah. the show before.
1: (laughs) Shout out to all the people.
0: Totally. So how about the question about wounded healer? How does that fit or not fit for you?
1: Gosh, I think it's the only way to tell the truth. I think I, Mm -hmm. I don't know of someone who is in the healing profession and does it well who hasn't in some way touched their own pain and felt the ache of being alive and, and wrestled with that to some degree. What I think about trying to do often is like not be this healer necessarily where mm-hmm. I am in a kind of egocentric self-aggrandizing way trying to move in and, and do something for other people or I'm fixing them like we were talking about, mm-hmm. but to create a space where people can access the healing that is already within them. Like, I believe that there's something in one of the kinds of therapy that I'm really drawn to, which is AEDP. Diana Fosha, the creator of the therapy, talks about transformance and this drive that's written into all of us to heal. It's why Mm -hmm. the blade of grass comes up out of concrete. You know, it's why the person takes their meds the morning when they feel like they would rather not. It's the reason the person Mm -hmm. calls suicide hotline instead of self-harming or engaging in suicidal behaviors. So... I think that there's this thing that's written into all of us that drives us towards more healing. And there are certain spaces where because of how people have existed, how they hold the space where another person is able to access that healing within themselves. But mm-hmm. what has been really surprising to me is I've had so many clients say over the course of my work without knowing that anyone else said it to me that have said, I normally feel pathologized by therapists, mm. therapist, but... There's something about you that makes me feel like you're not afraid of my pain. I'm wondering mm. if it's because you have also had suffering. And so what's shocking to me is that people can feel that. Maybe it's not so shocking when I think yeah. about it. I'm like, of course we can. <laughs> but the subtle ways that when we are afraid of pain, we try and make other people's pain go away. And so I think that my journey to embrace, understand and walk through my own pain and my own mental illness, my own Mm -hmm. journeys of therapy, my own resistance to asking for help and then feeling the benefit of asking for help that I think is as integral to my healing work as I mean, anything else wounded healer to me, those feel synonymous. It's just a matter of Mm -hmm. saying, I think some people heal or don't. And then kind of move on and, and do their thing in the world. And my desire has been to say I, w- I want to intentionally mm-hmm. be in spaces with other people where I help them access something inside of themselves that I found to have been really life-giving for me.
0: Yeah, that's why I work in addiction, because I feel like people who are in recovery are every day working to be the best version of themselves. And right. that's what I want to do, too.
1: yeah some people talk about how exhausting it must be to be a therapist. And I think of it as being, Mm -mm. yes, like it can be heavy, but it is the most inspiring thing to see people come in every single day and be like, I need help with something. And this is Mm -hmm. what I'm learning. Mm -hmm. And gosh, this comes back to what we were saying earlier about how I think it's okay if helping other people helps yourself. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. we need to create this false divide between something that's altruism or something that's not, because I can't think of anything that is more inspiring than see other people do their work. Right. I've heard you say the same thing, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was in grad school and my second internship was at a detox rehab I would always hear like, oh, my God, you work in a detox like that must be the hardest thing. But the most dramatic transformation happens when people are at their lowest. And when somebody comes in literally like drunk or high out of their mind and then you get to see them for two or three weeks, then come back to themselves. That is absolutely the most inspiring. I feel like if it wasn't so draining day after day to work in that level of acuity, I would have worked in a detox forever just because of those brilliant moments that are so, I just treasure them.
1: Well, this is where my mysticism comes in. Like that to me is resurrection.
0: Mm -hmm. Like you are literally seeing
1: someone step out of the grave Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I can't think of anything more intoxicating I don't mean that to be a play on words, but truly like in an <laughs> existential sense, like yes. intoxicating existentially, then see people go from death to life. Yeah. That for me is a big part of why my faith tradition is still essential, it's because these poems of water into wine, of something from nothing, of death to life, I feel like that's what this is all about.
0: mm. Yeah, I wish we had another hour because I could talk all <laughs> just about spirituality now, too.
1: I know. It's so rich, isn't it? And like to think about that as it integrates with mental health feels to me mm-hmm. like such a conversation that needs to be had more. Yes. Because I think sometimes we are too careful with our, gosh, this is going to sound horrible, but too careful with our ethics around stuff to mm-hmm. not let ourselves mm-hmm. and the things that matter to us be seen in therapy in a way that might help people draw out of themselves the things that could be life-giving.
0: Absolutely. Well, my therapist, I had her on the podcast. And one of the Mm. things that she talked about was there's not enough talk of love in the therapy space. Yeah, Yeah. I think, you know, love and spirituality are kind of things in grad school that they try to keep us away from. Mm. But I think as we mature as therapists, that's when we start to integrate these things because I feel like in grad school, it's like learning your ABCs, right? Like you have to learn the basics. And then as you grow older, you can construct more and more complex sentences. So I yeah. think of for any, any baby therapist out there in training, you don't have to let go of your spirituality or any of it.
1: Mm-hmm. That reminds me of an article that gosh, has been so influential for me. It's by a woman named Natasha Prenn, and it's called I Second That Emotion. And it's from a textbook mm. called Psychotherapist Revealed, which is all about therapists and self-disclosure. Oh. But in I Second That Emotion, this article or this book chapter, she talks about saying I love you to a client yeah. and telling clients how she feels about them and the role of self-disclosure as building trust, mm-hmm. empathy, congruence, mm-hmm. honesty, and human connection that really is about love and what we're Mm. we're all looking for. So any, any baby therapist too, or any, anyone, I really recommend that book chapter, that article called I second that emotion.
0: Ooh, I'm going to have to give that to my students next semester.
1: There you go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to give you space. If there's anything you said you're writing another book, if there's anything in particular, you want to share with folks to make sure that people can find you and be connected.
1: Mm. So uh, two podcasts that I'm on other people's problems and the liturgist podcast. Those are great ways to find <laughs> me. And then I often, thanks, I often <laughs> post stuff like I do lots of podcasts for people as a guest. So there's lots of stuff out there on the Internet. And I try and post about it on my social media, particularly on Instagram or Twitter. So check out my pages for more information about that. We there's Hillary Leanna McBride on Instagram and Hillary L McBride on Twitter. And those are usually the places I post first about upcoming retreats, speaking events, workshops, group work, that kind of stuff. Or if I have space open in my private practice. And then my website, hillarylmcbride.com. And that's where you can follow me. And I've got a, I've got a couple books out right now. One's called Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image, Learning mm-hmm. to Love Ourselves As We Are, which is all about understanding, particularly for women, and not just mothers, but every woman is a daughter. So looking mm-hmm. at the stories that were given to her and the story she passes on mm-hmm. between generations, between people and relationships about women's bodies and coming into acceptance of ourself as we are so instead of the I'll love my body when story saying yeah. like Right now, and all of that's based on my master's research. Mm. And then a textbook for clinicians called Embodiment and Eating Disorders, which is looking at innovative mm. strategies for treating eating disorders using body based interventions and understanding eating disorders from a feminist phenomenological lens. Mm. So, yeah, and then my new book is called Embodied, and that's coming out. It'll probably be early 2021. And is all about healing, again, healing our relationship with our bodies and understanding the brain-body connection and why our bodies are good, even though we've always been told they're bad.
0: Hmm. Awesome work you're doing in the world. Thank
1: you so much. I really appreciate your kindness to me and the invitation to come on. What a joy to be able to chat with you about all these things we love. OMG, the joy <laughs> was mine. <laughs> you're so kind. Thank Aww, you. Yeah. Thank you so much for this invitation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. To learn more about Hillary, please visit our website at www. Wait, what is my website again? www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. And thanks as always to the Creative Imposter Team for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. You can tune in to us anywhere that you find your podcasts. I think, I think anywhere. And again, please share with your friends and write a review and give us five stars if you like what we've got to say. Thanks again. Until next time. Bye-bye.